The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel is Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hello there. Uh, yeah, it's just Pat and I this, uh, this week. It's Holy Week, and so uh, Father Andrew uh, and all the other priests and some of the lay people who work for parishes are all very busy this week. And so uh, it's just the two of us this time. Uh, so have ha- blessed Holy Week, Pat. I uh, hope you're having a, a good Holy Week. Yes, it's quiet, but good. Yes, yes. thank you. And uh, we uh, we wish a blessed Holy Week to all of you and uh, a happy Easter, uh, because that'll be coming up before our next uh, episode together. But uh, so this time, well, before I get to the, today's topic, I wanted to mention something that we're planning. We wanted to do an episode coming up on building a PC from scratch. Now, as a Mac guy, I've never built a PC. Uh, and frankly, I've used them as little as possible in the past. Sometimes I've had to, I've been, I've had to use Windows for work uh, for various jobs, but in general, I've, I'm not a PC guy, but we want to talk about building a PC, how hard is it? How expensive is it? What kind of decisions do you make? What what kind of, uh, uh, how do you find out what to get and which parts to buy and how it all goes together? And so we want to do an episode, a couple episodes on that. And then once we, once we build it, what we can talk about, what we, problems we ran into, things to keep in mind, how it went. Uh, because a lot of people, you know, for a lot of people, it might be worthwhile to build your own PC. It might be less expensive. You might get a better computer for the money. That sort of thing. And so uh, we're going to do that coming up. Now, uh, given that and given that we're a nonprofit that's entirely funded by your donations, uh, we we need your help to do that. And so if you'd like to if you'd like to see us do this and you want to support us in in, in uh, doing that, go to sqpn.com slash give and either make a PayPal donation or you can become a patron and that'll help us pay for this project. This is the first time we've kind of done something like this where we're doing a project and asking you to help us fund it in advance. Uh, and so if you would like to help us get this project off the ground and if you'd like to hear that sort of uh, episode, whatever you can give, whatever amount, if you, if you can, if you've got the, you know, some, some spare dollars to send us to help us do that, we'd really appreciate it. So sqpn.com slash give. So this time we are talking about we get our topic for today is about tech for getting outdoors. We want to talk about it's in the northern hemisphere, springtime. Uh for some of us, springtime is earlier than others. Pat, where you are in Texas, spring showed up a little while ago. For us yeah, I here, think we got summer now. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what I've heard. Uh for us, spring is just showing up. We've got the flowers, the 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 weather's turning nice, it's warm, we want to get outdoors. And so we wanted to talk about tech that'll help us get outdoors. Now I, I want to make a distinction. We are gonna do an episode probably next week uh, on tech for camping specifically because there's all kinds of tech involved with that uh, that you could possibly use. But I want to talk about this time, just tech that helps us get outdoors and go, you know, for a hike, you know, to enjoy the outdoors in various ways. And so that, well, that's what we want to start with. So Pat, uh, do you, do you like to go for walks? Do you go outdoors? Do you take your tech with you? 
Uh, I'm not big on uh, getting outdoors in Texas heat. <laughs> uh, so, but I, you know, certainly on the times that we've done family vacations, I've enjoyed being out. And uh, so I, I, I understand a lot of the tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get out there very much. <laughs> okay. Okay. So <laughs> anymore. Gotta, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, well, when you come up to visit us, though, I mean, you certainly, we, we certainly go out and do things and go for rides and go oh, yes. various places. And the kids love to take grandma to the uh, to outdoors themselves. So let's talk about some of the different uh, bits and pieces that, uh, that would be involved in this. So let's start with talking about some apps and websites that will help us when we're getting outdoors. And I'll start with one that I, uh, particularly like, and I think I've mentioned before on the show. So I'll, I'll but this will be a uh, re- review uh, or renewed look at it. It's an app called All Trails, and what All Trails is. It's available for iOS and Android, uh, and there is a the free version, but there's also a subscription. And what it does, it's um, it's a combination of both social network but also resource. It's kind of like Yelp for trails for outdoors trails now not just hiking trails where you put on a backpack and you hike into the woods for three days and you know you cook your own food over a fire but this includes like city parks and you know places around the corner and it's really great because there are tons of trails near where you live like where i live uh, as i was looking through this there are a ton of places including places i'd never seen or heard of and what it does is uh, so that it, it gives it categories as easy trails, modern trails, difficult trails, trails that are good for families, trails that are uh, good for groups, good for other trails that are good for solo. I mean, they have different categories. Um, one of the things that you could do is when you when you look it up. So you say you look at one of the trails, they'll it'll show you how long it is. Um, what kind of trail it is. Is it a, is it a one way trail or is it a circular trail um, or is it an out and back? Like you go up the same trail and come back, you know, come back on, you know, on the trail, the same direction uh, or the opposite direction you went, or is it a circular trail, like a loop? Um, it'll give you directions to it. There are reviews like user reviews, people who've gone. Um, they'll tell you about what the trail was like. Is it rocky? Is, do you have to do a lot of climbing? Are there a lot of good birds? Uh and then when you go to, to the, the particular trail, you'll they'll give you a full map that you can if you if you buy the service, you know, there's a subscription, you can download the maps for offline use, which is very useful uh, so that when you're out there and you don't have any bars, you still get the map on your phone and you can track where you are using the GPS. Um, they'll tell you things like what the weather is going to be like on the, on the next few days at that location, where to park. All kinds of great information. And like I said, and then you can create lists. I've created lists of uh, hikes that I want to do with my scout troop, with the, my scouts. Uh, and then I've created a, another list of hikes that I want to do with my family. It's really great. So uh, definitely check it out. It's alltrails.com as their website. So, uh, Pat, what do you have uh, that's uh, something you want to mention for well, I was hearkening back to when our family did a lot of, of uh, van touring and wandering around. And so I found some things that I think if I had had them then, they would have been extremely helpful. And I have friends who still are going out there in, in the great outdoors. The first one is kids are, and adults are fascinated by the night sky. And 
uh, I can speak for the one that I've used, but I know friends that have used multiple of the apps. But just the idea of you can take your phone out in the dark, raise it up, have the app up there. It'll show you where the constellations are, where Venus is, or lets you see all around. Some of the apps even let you see what's on the other side of the hemisphere, you know, of the world. Mm. Um, I think that would be kind of cool to know, oh, underneath my feet, there's the Southern Cross, you know, that would be kind of cool. Uh, so I can remember being up on top of of uh, some of the Mesa Verde and just just the glorious stars in the the outdoors. So I'm kind of going on some of those possibilities that I wish we had back then. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one, we'll have a link to a site that uh, at space.com that lists some of the best stargazing apps that they've found. Um, but one that I like that uh, that my whole family uses, we have one called Sky Guide. Uh, and we have it on the it's on the iPhone and a couple of the really nice features of it is it has a feature where you, you put it wherever you point your phone is it is it shows you what's in the sky where the where you're looking. Right. So sometimes we'll be out and we'll say, what's that bright, that bright one right there? And we'll pull it out. We'll hold up and it will say, oh, that is serious. And, you know, it's right there on the horizon or whatever. Uh, and then it will show the um, constellations around it as well. And then there's also a mode where it will, you can look through the camera. So it turns the camera on and superimposes the details, like the, the labels on what's actually in the, like the, your actual view of the sky, uh, which is really nice. So yeah. Uh, so sky guide is one of them. A lot of them do that sort of thing. And then there's all kinds of other features in it. Like, you know, stuff about the space station. Um, the, the, I noticed when I launched sky guide just now, it told me that you can now look at a mod, uh, an, uh, AR augmented reality view of the James Webb's web space telescope now in it. And so uh, space news. So, um, yeah, stargazing apps are, are really awesome. They've really transformed, our ability like to go outside with the kids and know what you're looking at. Yeah, Starwalk was the one that I had used. And I know uh, my other daughter, Teresa, she has used one that she's real happy with. So there's a lot of good ones out there is my point. So kind of look at the reviews. But yes, they are amazing. Good, good. That's a great choice. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one area where your technology has really improved our ability to go outside to, to help us. And that's the other thing is, you know, a lot of times we'll say, Oh, we want to leave tech behind when we go outdoors, but this is a way that the tech can help and not get in the way. And that that's a really nice aspect of it. So my next one is kind of a weird, fun one. Uh, and uh, this is one that was uh, discussed uh, with Jimmy Akin on an episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World called Randonautica. And it's kind of funky because they kind of claim half tongue in cheek i think that uh, it it's sort of psychic where you 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 open the app and you you kind of think about you know what kind of place you want to go and it will pick a randomly generated gps coordinate and uh, there are various parameters you can put into it but one of the ideas is it's like it's truly random it's just it'll drop you it it, it um it won't drop you in the middle of water. It won't drop you in the middle of buildings. Um, it, it's got some things, there's some parameters like that, but it will drop you in a wilderness place that may not actually be accessible even, but it's sort of this idea that people, people who do, they kind of get this idea of take me someplace truly random and I'm, I'll see if I can get there. And so it's this kind of fun, weird journey of discovery 
Um, that may be fun. You know, it may be fun. You may, you may be you may be tired of going on the same old trails or whatever, and you want a, a, a little bit of say adventure in suburbia. So you you fire up Randonautica and you tell it. Give me a random place and you could you could set the parameters of how far from where you currently are. You wanted to choose and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a lot of different ways of, of, of setting it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's as far as I know, it's still Whimsical. free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's kind of wild. It's, I think it's still free. They have a they have a, an official guidebook now and merchandise. And stuff. I think that's how they support themselves. Uh but it's a uh, it's kind of fun. Um, some people feel kind of weirded out by the mystical language that they sometimes use, but it's not that big a deal. I I, I wouldn't get. I would. I think it's mostly tongue in cheek. Is is the way I look at it. So, um, yeah, it's kind of fun. How about, okay, so uh, Pat, what do you have next? Well, we did a lot of of uh, vacationing near and around mountains, and so I found an app that I would have loved to have had then, where you can again take your phone. Point it at the horizon, and it'll show you the names of the peaks that are in that area. So you can say, oh, that's that that one, and you could plan on getting there or whatever. But it'll it'll show you, based upon your GPS coordinates, it'll show you an overlay of what mountains are out there and which ones are, you know, give them them names. That is awesome. Like, even in places that aren't, like, very mountainous, very hilly. This would be really like I have been. There have been times when I've been, say, in on uh, in Bar uh, Acadia National Park up in Bar Harbor, Maine, and you look out and you're like, "What am I looking? Like I see stuff out there, but I'm not sure what I'm seeing. I'm not sure what yeah. those peaks are. Is that Mount Washington or is that something much closer? That would have been very handy. I like that idea. It's amazing what they can, how they can use, like basic, like I, it knows where you are. And it has a map, a, a, a uh, you know, a contour map of the area, and just figures it out from that. That's yeah, that was called Peak Finder, and I thought that sounded really cool. <laughs> that is cool. That is great. Uh, Peak Finder is. Uh, does it say if it cost anything? Is that uh, we should probably be looking at that and see if people. Um, we can put that in the show notes, but I've, I'm sorry, I forgot to go look for cost. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I can pull it up. Really, it's that was five bucks on the uh, app store, so that's uh, that one is that's reasonable. Yeah. But that is reasonable if if you go on a vacation, you know, it's a it's an inexpensive sort of uh, addition. Um, so another map app that might be useful is that I've used before is called Avenza Maps. Uh, Avenza Maps stop. Dot com. Now, the way this works is if, if you've ever seen those um, sectional maps, they're called. You, you see them a lot in scouts. You see them a lot in hiking and uh, camping. Uh, you, you've often you, know, you see them in, uh, in outdoor stores. And it will be a map of, of a particular geographic area. And it will show the contours and any trails and features and all that sort of stuff. And what Avenza does is it's now made those available digitally so you can download it to your phone. It's not really an interactive map. It's kind of like a PDF, but it does make it available. It's different than like, say, Apple Maps or Google Maps because it has more of the the, the um, elevation data that the contour map gives you. But it also is, again, available offline. <laughs> so Yay. if you don't have any <laughs> bars, you still have access to it. Now, you got a, a battery, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, each sectional map is a few bucks. You can buy a, I bought like the whole Acadia national park one a few years ago when we were going up there for vacation. 
and it was like five bucks or 10 bucks or something along those lines. So, and then once you bought it, you have an account, you've always, you always own it. So even if you, um, you know, delete it off your phone, you can redownload and that sort of thing. So, um, Avenza maps. So that, that's been very useful. Uh, topographic maps. That's what I was trying to say. Topo. Yeah. <laughs> Topo maps. Uh, all right. What's next for you, Pat? Well, speaking of cell phone coverage, I, I have not tried this one, but there's an app that lets you find out, and it's group sourced, to find out where you've got cell phone coverage when you're out hiking and out camping and out in the wild. And uh, I was very naive the last time we went on a trip to Yosemite, and it was just my husband and I, and we, I thought, I've got my iPhone, I don't need any thinking maps and got up there and realized, no, I ran out of cell phone range. And so oh, I would no. have to get up to the top of a peak, try to capture the map and then drive until it just showed me the line. And I no longer could see the, the, uh, the outline of the actual features on the map. Oh, but wow. yeah, this is becoming much more important. So I thought this was interesting because it, it shows it's group sourced by people who are actually out there and can tell you, okay, this is a good spot. No, forget it. And especially if you're out uh, hiking and there's a chance that you could get lost. And I think it has some features where you can also um, put in something like you're going on a particular hike and, uh, you know, with, with check-in points. And if you're not checked in or uh, let it know where you are, then then there there could be some uh, some rescue operations launched from that. Is I think that's the one I remember seeing. Oh, okay. But I thought that was sounded like a good safety type thing. Yeah, so they, they have a free tier and a subscription tier. And the free tier, you get maps, trails, and cell coverage information, uh, which is good. That's so the, the basic functionality. Uh, but with a subscription, you get additional features um, which might be include the whole, uh, you know, um, emergency, emergency stuff that might be in there as well. So that would be that's interesting. Um, if I find out that that wasn't the one that had the emergency stuff, I'll I'll put that in the show notes. But it does say, like, get found if you're overdue. Safety contacts are notified yeah, when it. you're past yeah. due. Live tracking contacts can see your GPS location during your trip or hike. Uh, gives you rescue advice. So, yeah, that's pretty good. It doesn't say um, what the in-app purchase uh, how much it is uh, on it so um you'll have to folks you'll have to take a look for that uh, yourself and see what to, before you buy anything um all right so that's uh, your most recent so um i want to mention another one you got you're going to want to know the weather when you're out and about uh that's an important thing and my favorite weather app is carrot weather it's available for ios and android <laughs> it's weather with an attitude let's just put it that way which is uh, you can turn up or down. Like you can turn off the attitude. Uh, and it's, if you don't want to, you know, it's, it's a funny snarky, like a, like a homicidal AI app, which is some people's sense of humor and other people, they don't, they're not really into that, which is fine. If you, you can turn off the personality part. It's still, I think the best weather app out there. It's got so many features. You can customize it, you know, to the nines to, give you exactly the information you want. And the nice thing is, is it's also sort of um, automodal, depending on what the weather is or what time of day, it will display the different weather f features differently. So if it's going to rain, it will be much more likely to show you uh, the, the uh, a rain uh, gauge map and, you know, percentages of rain in the area and that sort of stuff. Um, 
It's a great weather app. And it also uh, has different levels that you can unlock, different subscription levels. I think I pay 10 bucks a year for one step below premium. Premium has some features. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't really need that sort of stuff. But the, the uh, $10 level gives you uh, radar, weather radar, which mm-hmm. I've I, I don't know. I like having a weather radar so I can say, OK, there's the rain over there. It's coming this way. We better get undercover or wow, that is a really bad storm. Let's get undercover. That sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the, we- the the it has also um, different weather sources. So there are multiple sources for weather like AccuWeather, uh, Weather Channel, Fonseca, I think is one it's called. And it's a little in fact that Different weather sources are better in different places. And, oh, gosh, I hadn't thought of it before, but I should have looked up. There's a website that will tell you which weather source is better where you are. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so AccuWeather, Dark Sky, Climacell. You know, one might be better, have like a better track record for for predicting the weather in your Local, area yeah. than others. And you can then choose the, the right one for you. So uh, Carrot Weather is great, and I would definitely recommend it. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's so funny and so timely. Sometimes like something something will happen in the news and then later that day it will sn- have a snark about it. Like when uh, I think when Elon Musk bought a 10% of Twitter stock, like later that day it had a like some sort of funny snarky comment about it, which was just, I'm like, this is this guy must just be sitting at his computer all day typing in the funny <laughs> things that he sees in the news. It's it's awesome. Uh all right, Pat, what's your your next pick uh of a uh, Yep. Right. All of our vacations were taken in a van and riding across the country. And so one of the things I found just like over the last six years was an app that, you know, as you're driving down the road, you see these little metal signs that say, you know, a historical uh, marker. And I'm always so curious about what that historical marker is. It a pioneer farm? Is it a is it an old stagecoach uh, route? Is it a, a a site of a previous uh, jail in you know out in the middle of West Texas? Uh, you know what are these historical markers? And so this was called Roadside Historical Markers and Attractions, and there were other things in that app too. You know they would uh, show you other. I'd say touristy, but other outdoor, other other scenic things that you might be interested in seeing. But seeing those little roadside markers and whizzing past them and wondering what was what we just missed because we're on a schedule. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, I like the idea of uh, you, you, like you often see those like historical markers, interpretive signs, war memorials, that sort of stuff. And you're like you you're driving past them and like, but someone put these up to commemorate something like right what what was that i want to know and and so this is important i'll turn around and go back (laughs) yeah i mean you may discover a a a diamond in the rough a a hidden gem of a place that will that you'll talk about for years as remember that time we were driving through that little town and we saw the sign and we stopped and it was the most awesome thing ever yeah that i love that idea i remember google had some apps a while ago and i don't know if it was one of the it was maybe one of the things that google has killed off um but it was a sort of a uh, google field something uh just and i don't have it on my phone now so i don't i it, it might be something that they ended but it was a similar thing where it was uh, all of these features you know cool interesting 
features of of every town, like in every town, the interesting things there. Um, so cool. that that might have been uh, something fun too. But I don't know if that's gone now. Um, so I wanted to mention um, we I think we both came up with birding uh, apps. And uh, I'll let you go first since you came up with yours first. Uh, if you wanted to talk about it, did you have a, a birding app that you wanted to talk about? Well, uh, I have friends who are birders and I'm not sure, but I think the one that I referenced was eBird. And it's it's uh, a not just a here, identify this bird, but identify a bird and report it so that the Cornell University can gather all this into their database and so they can look at migration patterns and all sorts of things, as well as it's a fun game for kids to say, what bird did we find today? What three birds haven't we ever seen before? <laughs> and uh, so that eBird was the one that I meant, uh, I had noticed, but I see you've got iBird. Now, iBird is one I've had for years, and I've found it to be so comprehensive it's a massive app like something like a gigabyte like it, it's a it's a truly massive app now there's different versions this ibird plus this ibird ultimate um this ibird pro you know just, just for different depths of your like there are people who are like ornithologists who use the ibird professional um and but what it does is ibird does is it helps you identify birds so you say i'm here i am i'm in the Northeast. I'm in Massachusetts. Uh, show me um, all birds that are uh, likely to be found in backyards, in the suburbs that are at this time of year. And, and it will help you narrow down, you know, the kinds of birds you're likely to see and then helps you identify them. And it will show you pictures, uh, including user generated photos uh, that people have submitted as and then as well as it'll play bird calls for you. So all the different calls that the birds will make. Uh, so you can identify those as well. And then it, you can also keep a birding list. You know, I've, I've seen this one, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I really like iBirds for that. But um, yeah, cool. one of the birding apps, my, my kids, uh, at least, especially my oldest uh, is super into birds. She's really good at identifying birds. It's crazy. Uh, she's been doing it since she was little. And, uh, uh, but this would be a really useful tool for anyone wanting to, you know, f learn more about the the little things popping around your yard, and even you know what song is that? I've even gotten to the point where I can start to identify bird song, which is kind of amazing to me. You know, at my age, I've kind of learned something about birds that I never another knew language. Before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Oh, I do want to make one caution though. My friends who are avid birders say. Yes, these are great for identifying bird calls. Don't play them while you're out in the wilderness because oh. this may be a call of a specific kind and you are introducing that call into and can confuse, make them mad, make them upset. Mm. So, you know, listen to it quietly where the birds can't hear it is their point. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, you don't want to it, it you don't want to mess up with the mess with the birds natural uh, existence in the in the wild. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Some of those can be fight or flight type calls, you know, mm -hmm. that, that or a, I just spotted a hawk, you know, yes. that type of thing. Right, right. Um, now, there's a I wanted to mention um, a fishing app called Angler, and it's it's kind of I haven't really used this one myself. I kind of I looked into it and because uh, I like fishing and I and I've, I've not used an app 
to help me with my with fishing. Frankly, I could use all the help I could get with my fishing. Um, uh, I'd want an app that puts the fish on the hook. So um, I've got one. Oh, yes. It's got a <laughs> <In> VR. VR. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've done that one. I'm really good at VR fishing. Uh, so the uh, this was called Angler, A-N-G-L-R, you know, just like all web things you leave off the vowel. And uh, what it is is that it's sort of a fishing social media logbook. So, I mean, so what like it does, the one. yeah, yeah. It, what you, you, you log your fishing trips. So if, you, if I've gone out and I've gone to this place and I've, it can track you as you move, like where you've gone. And then when you catch a fish, you can log. I caught this fish, this size. Here's a picture of it in this location, which can help you or others. If you share it, uh, find good fishing holes and that sort of stuff. So, uh, it, it helps you keep track of, you know, what equipment you used and lures or bait and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's free. There's a pro upgrade, which is like 50 cents a month or 30, 30 bucks a year. That 50 cents a month doesn't sound right. Cause that's like $6 a year. So I think, I, I think I messed up the, uh, but it's, it can be, it's like 30 bucks a year if you, if you upgrade. Um, so something to check out angler, A N G L R. Uh, if you are, if you're into fishing, uh, do you have any more Pat that you uh, want? The to only about? other one that I, that I had uh, researched before I uh, got on was one of the things that we did a lot when we were out hiking was trying to identify mushrooms or identify plants or what kind of tree is that or, you know, that, that type of thing. And so a uh, leaf snap, I think, is one that I've heard Melanie use before. Yes. And uh, I, th- I think, you know, if I had had that back when the kids were, you know, real small, that would have been very helpful to, oh, yes, that is poison ivy. Or, uh, no, you don't want those to get on your hands because they will make them itch real bad. Mm-hmm. And I saw a, a plant identifying thing. Yeah, it's often does it based on the shapes of leaves or the fruit, if it's a bl- blossom or fruiting plant. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really good for that. Uh, you mentioned mushrooms. I just want to caution, don't ever rely on no. an app to tell you whether a mushroom is good to eat or anything is good to eat in the wild. Assume they're not. Assume they're right. <laughs> it, it, they, these things, there's, an, there's a margin of error in its identification that is not sufficient for risking your life and health on it. Uh, but in, in general, if you just want to say, well, what kind of tree is that? What kind of pl- uh, flower is that? What kind of bush is that? Certainly this, this is a, uh, a, a very excellent tool for, the, for that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's free. Um, this one I think is only iOS, I'm pretty sure. Um, but there might be others that are for um, for Android as well. But the Leaf Snap is, is just iOS. Excellent. So those are some, some apps. Uh, we also had some games, if you want to have some fun in the outdoors. Uh, Father Andrew shared some that uh, when before he realized he couldn't make it tonight. And uh, a couple that he mentioned, and I'll, I'll just throw them out here. Um, one is called Zombies Run. And it's a it's a running app. So if you like to run, uh, I don't. But if if, if others do, uh, well, maybe give you a reason to run. It's a uh, psychologically, at psychologically. Least. <laughs> so you um, you basically you it's sort of a game where you put in you, you listen to it in headphones. And you hear you get a mission and. You hear, you know, um, someone giving you your mission orders on the headphones and then there's music and then you you start getting chased by, as the name suggests, zombies. And you hear 
the zombies chasing you and you and you have to like speed up and stay ahead of them and um you collect supplies and you build a base and this it's a whole gamifying wow. jogging um it sounds too intense for me frankly but <laughs> <laughs> if they would let, let me kind of walk through it maybe i could do it <laughs> right I, I just the idea of like hearing zombies chasing me just ooh. Well, see in the vr games you can teleport through them so i can do that one. <laughs> oh, good good yeah yeah that sounds much better <laughs> um he also mentioned of course the always amazing and popular pokemon go and the its predecessor from the same company called ingress uh both of them are uh Games that get you outside walking, so they're they're much um, much less intensive, uh, but they get you outdoors. And you walk to real world locations, and you play a game at that location, whether it's catching Pokemon or um, pseudo like pretend hacking, or that's what Ingress is. Um, and there's teams, and you win prizes in the game, and all kinds of stuff like that. But it's a way to get you outdoors. I've always liked that. I did the Harry Potter version from the same company. A couple of years ago, it was okay. It got a little repetitive and I stopped playing, but it was a, it was a reason to get out and keep and walk and keep walking. It made some people find walking boring. Like I'm out, like I'm outdoors. I'm walking around a track or I'm going down the street. I'm, I find it boring. I want, I need something to keep me interested. Well, this is one way to, to, to stay interested. Cool. Yeah. Now, uh, the other the other one that was on our list was the geocaching, and I had a little experience with that with some kids with birthday parties and oh. and things like that, where where you would go online and find that there were hidden caches in a park or a neighborhood or whatever, and so people would get points for being able to find them. And you once you found them, you take them out. And of course, these days you could take a photo of it to prove to yourself, yeah, I really found it, and then you put it back where it was hidden. Right. But the idea being is is that it's a great way to learn to do navigation via GPS or uh coordinates like that or or, or place marks uh, landmarks. Yeah, back in the day it used to be you had to, you had to have like a, a GPS device to help you find things, but since the advent of of phones with GPS, it's become much more common and everyone can play it. Uh so uh, so what is it so to kind of what you were saying is a geocache is just a, something stashed somewhere at a specific location out in outside in the in the wilds somewhere not necessarily Usually in a waterproof box or something like that yeah and some little treasure inside <laughs> and it doesn't have to be in like wilderness it can be in the city you know it can be um magnetically attached to the bottom of a of, of a metal thing of a pipe or um a light can, or something yeah, yeah hidden in a tree trunk or you know it could be all kinds of things and uh and so the idea is, is you, uh, you you look at look up a cache in the app, and then you just follow the to the location, and then you hunt around for it, and you find it. And when you find it, sometimes there's a a logbook you can write, you know, your name in it and the date or something, or you know at least take take a selfie with it or something like that. I'm looking at this uh, the website right now, and it it'll know your general location uh, the website. And so it, it knows that I'm somewhere near Quincy, Massachusetts, and says there are 2,111 geocaches around Quincy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I could do geocaches forever. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there'll be more geocaches in more built-up urban areas, but uh, it's such a popular thing, and it's been popular for so long, for decades now, there are lots of them out there, so. 
Um, it's almost a precursor to the Pokemon where you're looking for something out when you're out wandering around. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Except this is something real. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it would be something fun to get you outdoors. So um, I think... I think we're going to wrap it there. There's some other things we're going to talk about. We didn't talk about gear this time. I'll save that for next time when we're talking about uh, tech for camping, because a lot of this gear also works for that as well. And uh, because obviously you're going to want batteries and you're going to want, um, you know, other other gear when you're out, uh, you know, hardware gear when you're out um, in the outdoors. But uh, we'll talk about that next time. In the meantime, let's uh, take a moment. I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Jacob U, Peter O, Matthew K, Michael H, and Sam W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So let's talk about some headlines for this week. Uh, the first headline is an interesting one. Uh, the It's from, let's see, uh, the Washington Post, and it says, uh, meet the 1,300 librarians racing to back up Ukraine's digital archives. And this is an interesting initiative that, that happened when the war started in Ukraine, when uh, Russia attacked Ukraine. Uh, they, a group of... Um, Librarians. Well, it started with two people, a, a, a librarians and archivists, who realized that a lot of the websites in Ukraine, the library websites, museum websites, and uh, and other sites that uh, hold the cultural heritage of the country, are in danger. They're either in danger from hacking, they're in danger from their the servers being physically destroyed from warfare, uh, and, and various other things. And so they started this international effort that that has gathered in 1,300 people so far to archive the sites. And uh, they have special software that the open source software that they use that when they, they go to a site, once they've discovered it and they downloads the entire site, the, all of it goes, it goes, digs all the way down through the, all the different levels of, of the site and downloads it all into an archive. And they says if they've saved something like um, 35 terabytes, 25 terabytes. Wow of data so far when this article was written. And uh, it's pretty remarkable. Did you get a chance to look at this, Pat? Uh, I didn't, but I had heard somebody else mention it before, you know, when I was at one of my clients. And so it sounded fascinating. I just didn't get a chance to actually read through it. Yeah, one of the interesting things about it is that, you know, someone might say, well, the Internet Archive at internetarchive.org, they have something called the Wayback Machine, which is archiving websites. So why don't they just use that? Well, the difference is the Internet Archive, it only scrapes um, a couple levels down, like the maybe the home page and maybe a couple pages below that. It doesn't it doesn't get an entirety of a website. And it's really important. And this really strikes home for me because. One of the things it does is it, it's archiving things like uh, his, histories of the Jewish villages in uh, western Ukraine uh, near the city of Odessa, which is important to me because that's where my mom's dad's family was from. We're not even quite sure where. And if someday I or my children or their children want to find more about that and maybe track his, you know, that that history they're going to need to have this data still. And if a website has been destroyed, 
you know, that all, that information can be gone. Like if you think about like re, you know, physical libraries, like the Library of Alexandria, for instance, and other physical libraries and museums that get destroyed and those things are gone forever. At least in this case, we can make a backup of a the website. Snapshot. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. The one of the things they said they do is like some of the people are, uh, the volunteers are using Google Street uh, View to go through all these towns and villages and cities looking for street signs. So anything that says museum, library, archive, anything that wow. looks like that and making a note of it so that someone later will come back and um, find the website and then download the website. Uh, so um, it's really kind of neat. I'm really glad that they're doing it. And uh, it's, it, it should happen more than just Ukraine anywhere. That's, that's got this culture in that's online that could be preserved. So um, our next headline is from the BBC, and they did an interview with Sid Meier. Now, Sid Meier is a he's, he's like a legend in the game, in the video game industry. Uh, he's been at it for decades and he has one of the most successful games ever. And so, several of them, in fact. But uh, the one that he's most well known for probably is Civilization, which is my favorite game. I've been playing it since Civ 3, maybe 2. Uh, it's up to Civ Six now, and uh, it's like 30th anniversary of Civilization, which is remarkable that a game has been around that long. And in the interview he did with the BBC, he talked about this trend toward in in games and video games to focus too much on the money, on the monetization, and not enough on the gameplay. And you could kind of dismiss that as saying, oh, this is, that's very Pollyanna. Like, you know, oh, we, we th these are businesses. They have to make money. You, you got to pay people. You got to pay for things in order to get, you know, the, the games produced and, and maintained. What I would say to that is he's not I don't think he's saying that we shouldn't monetize games. But he's saying uh, with a lot of the trends lately is that we have a lot of focus on things like in-app game purchases and these really like loot boxes and other ways of, of, you know, in the game with there's so much focus on in-app purchasing in game purchasing, you know, uh, you can, you get these levels for instance, in some games that are so hard that the only way to get past that level is if you buy a power up or something like that, or, you know, or it's a games against other people and, you get into a particular battle, in-game battle with another player, whether it's tennis or like shoot them up or whatever. But because they've paid for the power up, it's almost impossible to defeat them in, in, in it. So you have to kind of just, you know, oh, well, and move on. And so what he's saying is, is we need to find other ways to monetize these things that don't really sacrifice gameplay and the fun of games um, and, and that sort of thing. What do you think, Pat? Like you, you I know that you play some games. Uh, what do you think? Well, and I can see that, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, games on the smartphone that, that are ad supported, et cetera, like that, or that you have to, to, you, you buy these trinkets or you buy this, these coins in order to let you go further or to buy more in the game, et cetera. And that to me is off-putting, but uh, there are some that that uh, basically uh, the the gameplay is so creative and so interesting and fascinating that you want to support the developers. For instance, there's one game I'm playing right now that's uh, called Walkabout Mini Golf, and it's very inexpensive. It's like fifteen dollars, and then they're coming out with about a course a month 
that's $2.99, but it's a whole 36 holes of golf. But it's so creative. They haven't gotten so it just as a cookie cutter of the one course changed around here. So every one they're adding different physics or they're adding different value. And that creativity is what keeps me just fascinated with it. And I and I get real tired of the little the little handheld games that are just, you know, one's just like the other and even have the same type of scoreboard or the same whatever you can tell. It's just it's cookie cutter. Candy Crush clones or yeah, yeah, the various you know, one of the things I really like about Apple Arcade is that it's five bucks a month. Or unless you get a bundle in like I do with the Apple One subscription. Um, but if you just want the Apple Arcades, five bucks a month and you get all of the games in there. And there's hundreds of games now. There are dozens at least, but hundreds of games perhaps. And none of them have in-app purchases. Part of the whole right. shtick is there's no ads, no in-app purchases, and they're fun. I mean, I just started playing oh uh, some driving game. And a lot of times driving games, it's like, oh, do you want the better car? Well, you could spend hours and hours and hours and hours earning in in game money in order to get the better car, or for just three ninety nine. You know, and it's just a, it, they they get you a little Insidious. bit, a little bit, yeah. And it gets addictive. Like I've sunk so much time and now money into this game, I don't want to give it up. And and this is, uh, but with the Apple Arcade, you don't have to worry about that. And I really, I really like that. And the almost all the games that my kids play on uh, the iPad are Apple Arcade games now because they they don't get confronted with any of that. They just none of the the those you know uh pitches and come ons for spending money. Guilt trips. <laughs> right. And no and there's no possibility of them accidentally spending my money, you know, like some of these right. stories we've heard about kids within app purchases of thousands of dollars and that sort of thing. Um so uh I'm with Sid Meyer. I think I'm not against people making money. I mean I want them to make money because that means they'll make more games and improve the games. But it's all about priorities and the priority should really be on gameplay first. And I'd rather pay up front than than uh, than do this little dribbling out type yeah. thing. And if you make a great game, people will come to it and they'll give you money for it. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. It's always been. Awesome. And so uh, our last headline is kind of plays off of a, some, a discussion we had last week. We talked about um, robot, robotic or uh, autonomous semis on the highways. Well, this is about autonomous freight trains. So self-driving electric freight trains. And uh, it's an interesting story where this company has proposed that uh, they what that would happen is, is each rail car would be autonomous and electric battery powered, have its own motor in it. So no more locomotive. And by breaking up these sometimes 20 mile long rail cars, uh, you know, freight trains, they can move the freight much more efficiently. They can go to exactly where they need to go. They don't need to be broken, you know, taken by one rail uh, um, train to this place, then switch to a different train to be taken to another place. Uh, it can be, they can go right to the particular locations. They are much more efficient. Um, when they get together, they they can call platooning. They can connect up several at a time. And because they all have motors, they divide the the locomotive work amongst themselves. And so they're much more energy efficient instead of one engine pushing the whole train. Uh, it sounds great. The problem is that there is you know, our rail system in this country. There are something like 600 different companies that we've got 250,000 kilometers of railroad in the U.S. owned by over 600 different companies. Now, 
the vast majority of the rail is owned by a handful of very large companies. But even then, these are separate companies. How do you get them to agree to let these autonomous you know, uh, cars ride around? And a lot of this track is single track. You can't have, they don't, pat, you know, there's not two tracks, one going one way and one going the other. So you have to like have rail sidings and the switching is very complicated and all this other stuff. Um, so it sounds like, yeah, this would be really great. We just got to get a whole bunch of people to agree to do it. You know, a very conservative, traditional, uh, old <laughs> industry has to agree to upend everything. Um, what do you think? Is it a realistic uh, expectation? Um, and does it, do you think it makes sense? Well, I wish it could. you could look at the rails as just being another highway that, you know, you could have route traffic. And yes, you'd have to have computerization to make sure you've got things scheduled right. But the... Uh, I had seen one article that talked about maybe having parallel or additional rails that were just for these, right. but but they'd have to be done in more of a, a localized area where you would have a lot of freight going between several cities maybe, and these would be dedicated just to that. Now, the other thing I thought was good is, you know, those 20-mile-long cars, if you've got autonomous little engines, you could, you know, instead of uh, having somebody having to sit at a stop sign for all the uh, all the cars to pass, you could break them, you know, they would break themselves apart, let people through, and then join back up. I mean, you wouldn't right. be stopping traffic all the places. So I guess I, I, I would love to see this. The question is, is I don't think it's going to come to the all the rail system very easily. But I could see where, you know, some prototypes of doing this in smaller segments could lead to possibly whether it's legislation or whether it's uh, some type of a profit sharing plan or something, you know, to, to let people see, yes, this is viable. And it's an alternative to having somebody sitting in a truck you know, having to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it, it's I, I like the idea a lot. Yeah. I mean, as it is, a lot of of goods are traveling. The, the, when they go long distance across the country, are traveling by rail and then semis do most of the last mile stuff. But one of the things that they could do is set up um, stuff that can like from the ports to the railheads. You know, it's yeah. right now that's all done by semi. And when we had the huge uh, backups at the Port of Long Beach and the Port of Los Angeles uh, earlier this year, where we didn't have enough trucks and we didn't have enough containers, and and it was a hassle to get them to the to the the railheads, it would if they had something like this, they could come right off the ship. The containers come off the ship, go onto uh, one of these autonomous trains, and go right to the railhead where they get put on these long distance trains instead of waiting for a truck to take them. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the autonomous system goes, comes back, could run 24 hours a day. Um, even, even if we did something small, started right, small exactly. like that. Starting it small, uh, localized for a particular need. And then you could hook these up together as, as you got, mm. got more of them. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. I mean, it's this, this, the technology is there. It's the it's it's our society that's not there. It's not it's the way our infrastructure infrastructure isn't there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um we'll see how that goes. Excellent. So those are our headlines. So let's move on to our picks of the week. And Pat, why don't you go first? What is your pick this week? 
Well, we were talking about outdoors this this time, and uh, I know a lot of people who are cyclists, who are joggers, who are walkers, et cetera. And uh, about the time that uh, my husband had his stroke, uh, he was a, a swimmer. And basically, you know, you don't have much on you to identify who you are when you're in a swimming pool, mm-hmm. when you're riding a bicycle. A lot of people don't bother to carry much with them. Uh, they These days that they might have a cell phone, but it's probably locked, you know, uh, and so that p- people can't get in to see their emergency information. Although now there are methods that you can, you know, put an emergency ID on them. But one of our doctors at that point said you need to look at road id he said this was made for cyclists initially but it basically is just a little rubberized band that fits around your wrist and is stretchy and then there's this very small faceplate on it that's metal that has on there your name uh the phone number of your next of, of kin or your you know your loved ones or whatever and it has room for a couple of those And then it has a pointer to a website and a phone number that medical personnel can use to call or key in the number on there. And you've placed all your medical information there. You've placed your doctor's names, your medications, your your medical conditions, uh, your insurance information. All of that's online that then somebody could look at your wrist or wherever you're keeping it. Some people put it on their ankle or on their shoe or whatever, uh, or a, a ch- dog tags. There's lots of different IDs, but the idea being is that you're carrying around a lot of information in a very tiny space. Mm. And a lot of emergency personnel are used to looking for this. You know, that these this has been around for seven years at least, I know, because that's, that's uh, I know, the time frame. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, very inexpensive. I think, I'm trying to remember, I think when we got it, it was like $17 to get the band and the first year's worth of information put online. And after that, it's just a matter of renewing it every year and making sure you keep your medical information up to date. And so it's very inexpensive and and. At one point, we got these for a lot of the kids and ourselves, you know, and it's just you can they're different colors. You can have sports insignia on them. You could you can make them as as unobtrusive or as as splashy as you want. They even make them like as an Apple Watch band or Fitbit or Garmin band, um, which looks great. They make them for kids. I love this idea. If I was going to Disney World or some busy, crowded place on vacation with my kids. I would might might get this for them. Or school trips, you know, yeah. just even having them so that when you're if they get separated from a group, there's something on them that, that that people can find out who they are. I remember when my kids were little, when we would take them into Boston, I would put my business card in their shoe, you know, yeah. in case they got separated, like we're getting on and off the the subway, and we got separated. At least, you know, the the number would be on them. Someone would find it, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I like that. I like the idea of this this wristband. And like I have the medical ID on my phone, which, you know, if an EMT finds it, they can they know how to get that. But this is even faster because it's right there on your wrist or around your neck. And that's good. It's, it's analog. They can call a phone number yeah. as opposed to having to have uh, get on a website or whatever. Although they can do that, too. Right, right. So, yeah. I and, like and as I say, there it's there's uh, there's nothing electronic in it. So you just I just wear it all the time. Yeah. But some people prefer to wear it like around their ankle 
or some people will have, you know, they have ones that you can tie into your shoes while you're running so that it, it's tied into the laces. But the idea being is it's something you've got on you all the time. Nice, nice. They have stretch ones, like they're plastic stretchy bands, others that have a clasp. I like that. Right. It's really nice. I, I've got the stretchy ones. Those, it's probably the original ones, and then they've added other ones, but yeah. Yeah, they're like 25 bucks for the stretchy ones, which is pretty good for peace of mind, definitely. Excellent. I like it. I like it very much. Uh, I'll have to look into that, in fact. So my pick of the, this week is, a, it's not an app. It is a source, a new source. It's a web service called 1440. 1440, it's a, it's a news service. And I really like this. What, what it is is every day I get an email from them and it summarizes the top news stories of the day, plus some other fun culture, science, sports, politics, business, and then a bunch of fun links at the end of it. What I really like about there are lots of news emails, you know, daily news emails out there. What I really like about this, it is it's truly impartial. It is not slanted. It is just the facts. There is no opinion being pushed on you here. It, it is always just this is what happened. This, you know, this, this and this. It'll give you links to other stories and you can read those if you want. Uh, but it is refreshing in yes. how how uh, uh, impartial it is and how straightforward it is. I was uh, subscribed to a different service out there recently. I won't name it, but um, it had a voice in the sense of it was kind of it thought it, the, the people writing it thought they were funny, <laughs> you know, like mm. they would just make jokes in the middle of the telling of the news. And it's like it's it just save the jokes. Just I just I want a quick uh, overview of the daily the day's news, you know, save the save the jokes, save the opinion. And there's always a little bit of opinion in it. You could tell there's a point of view like there tend to be Democrat or they tend to be Republican or they tend, you know what I mean? It's like, I yeah. I don't want your opinion about it. I don't want to have your slant on the news. Just tell me what happened. So if you go to join 1440.com, uh, that will be the, uh, that that's the website where you sign up, just put your email in. It's free. It's ad supported. Um, uh, the ads are unobtrusive and, uh, you know, uh, not, not annoying at all. Um, 1440, I think, refers as the year of the Gutenberg Press, I'm pretty sure. It was something to do with the Gutenberg Press. I get that one also. I really like that one. That's the one I will look at every day, and, and I've got several others that I, I'll kind of look at and maybe enjoy a little bit here or there. But, yeah, yeah. The, it's the one that I, I really count on. Excellent. Oh, I guess, yeah, the, the, the printing press was 1440, but there's also 1440 minutes in a day. So, oh, <laughs> I've forgotten that one. <laughs> yeah, that's I guess that too. Uh, so that's nice. Uh, so check it out. Uh, I, I have no interest, you know, uh, in it. It's just an unbiased daily news aggregator. Okay, so that's it from us. We would love to hear from you, any of your comments on anything we talked about today, especially if you've got recommendations on tech for getting outdoors and getting out in uh, out of the house and into now that we can all go outside and enjoy life again without uh, lockdowns and that such. Uh, we'd love to hear your recommendations for that. And if you have uh, tech for camping recommendations for our upcoming show, we'd love to hear that. And if you've got ideas or want to support our effort, our project to build a PC. We'd love to, to, to hear from you on that as well. You can uh, comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. You can send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the 
excellent, ever-growing uh, StarQuest Discord community. It has been such a blast getting to know so many of you there and interacting with you. Um, sometimes podcasting can feel like I'm talking into the microphone and is anybody out there. Uh, it's I love being able to interact with you guys in the in the community there at sqpn.com slash discord. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Follow the Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, We you should also hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Pat Scott, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Technology. It's been fun. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. StarQuest.